talking about the storms of life and how the storms of life come to us all. We looked at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 6 and verse 47. And this passage, if you could just go ahead and put it up, we're going to read it together. Um, This is the importance... This scripture tells us the importance of building your life, building your house upon the rock. So let's read it. Is it up there? No. Okay. Well, let me go ahead and read it to you. It says, whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to be whom he is like. He is like a man which builds a house and digs deep. Now that's important. I love that. This person building this house is doing it the right way. He's digging what? Deep. He's making his foundation sure. And it takes time to dig a little deeper. It takes time to dig deeper into the things of God and to search out the scriptures so that you can become established in them. And so when you dig deep and you lay your foundation on a rock, when the floods arose and the streams beat vehemently upon that house, it could not be what? Shaken. It could not be shaken for it was founded upon a rock. It was rooted. It had deep roots. But when he heareth and doeth not, it is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the streams did beat vehemently and immediately what happened? It, It fell. And the ruin of the house was great. And so we said that, you know, some storms come and you can see them from afar off and you can somewhat prepare. But then there's other storms that just suddenly arise. And I shared with you a little bit about a testimony about how I had gone through an experience with a storm that came up and immediately, suddenly, things were shaken. But I'm one that's built my house upon the rock. I'm one that has dug deep. I've done dig. So when a mega storm comes up, guess what? I'm going to do what Jesus did. When he was in the boat and a mega storm came up, he simply stood up and he spoke to the storm and he said, peace, be still. So in the midst of a storm, we find that it's important that you've got to speak to it. You've got to say some things to that storm. You've got to command that storm and take authority over it in the name of Jesus. And then the other thing that we said that's important in a storm is to make sure that when you're in a storm, the storm doesn't get in you. So you've got to keep the water out of the boat. You've got to keep the thoughts out of your mind. You've got to be disciplined. And any thought that comes up that tries to exalt itself against the word of the living God, you've got to cast it out. You've got to cast down that thought. Because if you don't, that thought will become an imagination. And that imagination, if left unchecked, will become what? A stronghold in your life. And so, 
You've got to, on the onset, take authority over thoughts. Cast them down and replace them with what God says about your circumstance. And that's where the digging deep comes in real handy. You know, because when the word richly abides in you, it'll just come up and you'll have a word in due season. And it will be a word of victory. And it will carry you through. Amen? You'll stay above it, not beneath it. The storm may be raging, but it won't be in you. And that is how you make it through to the other side. Amen? Amen. And so I shared with you about this personal experience that when I came uh, the night that Pastor John was here and we sang the song, I Surrender All, and I stood there and I felt shaken in my physical being by the storm that suddenly arose in my life. You know, anxiety and fear will shake you up and you've got to shake it off. You've got to be present in church. And we talked about the importance of that. Instead of staying home with the covers over my head. No, I was present. I was here. I was standing there. And I positioned myself. And I said, Lord God, I surrender all. And we began to sing that song. And oh, the the Holy Spirit began to work in my heart. Surrender all. Surrender all. Surrender all. And I thought, oh, Lord, what can I surrender? You show me. You know what I need to surrender. And I'm thinking of natural things. I'm thinking of practical things. What can you fast? What can, you know, these kinds of things. And the Holy Spirit rose up in my heart. And he simply said this to me. Your fears. Surrender your fears. And you know how to swallow and pause a moment and say... Okay, Lord, I surrender all. I surrender all my fears, all the anxiety, all the worry, all the stress, all the pain of it. I surrender it to you. And suddenly, like a rushing mighty wind, I'm telling you what, the presence of God rushed in and fell on me and there was such a peace that came over me, that blew over me, and that peace lifted me, and it's continued to lift me, and God's worked in the situation, and continuing to work in the situation. Hallelujah. And so there's a mega peace for you too. There's a mega peace that will come into your soul, and inhabit your soul, and lift you up, and help you. To make it through to the other side. Amen. So again, we talked about not granting access to the thoughts and employing discipline, meditating on the word, meditating on the scriptures. Isaiah 26 verse three says he will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you. Then we introduce the story of Ruth. Because as I said to you, the story of Ruth is really a story of surrender. Ruth surrendered all. And as a result, she came to a new time and a new place. And it's really the story of a God who seeks what was lost and redeems what was forsaken. Have you ever been there? 
Do you remember before you received Jesus? Oh, God came and he called you up. Amen. And you answered the call and you responded to it. I'm telling you, aren't you glad that you did? Did he redeem all for you? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, this story starts off in a time in history where um, it was after the death of Joshua. And there, no one was there to take the place of Joshua. And so as a result, uh, people began to live by what was right in their own sight. And this time was marked with violence, oppression, bloodshed, lawlessness. And again, people had forsaken the covenant that, that Moses had given to them on Mount Sinai. And they went and they did their own thing. So this period of time happened between 1375 B.C. and 1041 B.C. or 1051 B.C. It was a period of about 300 years where the judges ruled. There was no king. There wasn't a government that was established. I mean, God was to be the king, but they stopped following him. And when you stop following God, you stop following the blessings of God. And you experience something else. And you know, the Israelites, I mean, they had conquered and they had entered the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land of abundance. And there is something called the, the Titler cycle. Have you ever heard of that? The Titler cycle? And it's a cycle of this man who studied over 200 years of society. And here's how the cycle goes. Abundance. So they had abundance. And then, you know, people get comfortable and complacent with abundance. And so then they begin to be a little bit laxed. And there's leisure that enters in. And then they stop sewing. They stop working. They start digging deep. Then they start consuming and selfishness enters in. A self-centeredness. And then complacency. A sense of entitlement. And you hear people in that place whine and complain. Then apathy sets in. Where there's no interest. There's no enthusiasm. And people begin to blame other people and other things. And they become very critical. And then as a result of that apathy, they become dependent. Because they haven't been reaping. They haven't been sowing. So guess what? There's no reaping coming their way. And as a result, they begin to get weak. Weakness sets in. And after weakness, what happens? They get conquered and they become uh, uh, in a position where they're in bondage. They're in bondage. And so then people begin to oppose that situation that they're in and their condition. And they began to cry out for mercy. Mercy, Lord. Mercy. They begin to begin get humble. Amen. Humility is something that begins to rise up again. Because they find out they can't meet their own need. They've forsaken God. And as a result, they begin to repent. Repentance. And through that repentance, spiritual faith begins to arise. And they begin to seek God. 
afresh and anew. And as a result of seeking God, guess what they get? They get the spirit of encouragement. Encourage. It inspires courage to go out and fight for freedom. And then, as a result of fighting for freedom and digging deep, they begin to experience liberty once again. Success, prosperity, blessing, and then abundance. And so we can see that cycle throughout the Old Testament, can't we? And it will repeat itself unless something changes the system. You know, that's the law of physics. You introduce change into a system, and the system has to change. That's true in any system. It's true in family dynamics. If you introduce change, people say, well, I don't know what good it does to go to couple counseling if my couple won't go with me. Well, I'm telling you, if you go and you work on you, when you change, it changes the system. It changes the family dynamic because you're no longer the same. Amen? And so, introducing change can change that cycle, but pretty much that's how the cycle goes, according to the study. And so, um, the book of Ruth, again, we see where it opens up, where people were in that place where they were complacent, they were apathetic, they were weak, and they were experiencing um, the curse and really not the blessing of God because they had forsaken their covenant. And that, the product of forsaking your covenant and your blessings, the, the product of sin is death. And so there was famine in the land because the land was not producing. And in the story, the fields, again, uh, it, we're talking about agriculture in this setting, not producing. But did you know that there's many types of famine? We all hunger for different things. And so we can see that in this particular setting, not forsaking your walk with God and drinking from that living water is what's going to keep you from experiencing famine in your spiritual life. Amen. So in this case, again, they were experiencing famine, agricultural famine, where there was no um, bounty. There was nothing for people to eat. And so um, Imelech, who uh, was married to Naomi, decides that he's going to take matters into his own hand. And he decides he's going to go outside the boundaries of God's provision and seek a solution to his problem. He's reasoning. He's trying to figure it out. And you know, we all kind of can find ourselves in that place. But you've got to know that you've got to stay within the boundaries of God's provision to receive God's blessings. And that requires faith. So it doesn't matter what kind of pressure is pulling on you. It doesn't matter who is pulling on you. Learn the lesson of Imelech. Don't go outside God's borders looking for provision. Amen? Amen. It's exchanging brass for gold, as Pastor John had talked about. So the book of Ruth, again, demonstrates God's grace and sovereignty and 
his divine order of things. But let's take a look at some of the characters within the book. Imelech, his name meant my God is king. He was born as a citizen of Bethlehem. But at the time, you know, Bethlehem didn't really have any significance. It was just a small town. He was born with an inheritance as a child of God. Amen. Amen. The children of Israel received the promised land. Imelech again was under pressure to provide for his family. And he reasoned to do the practical thing. So he decided to look outside. He looked over to the land of Moab. Now Moab today is Jordan. And he looked over there and he thought, hmm, they have food over there. So I'm going to take my family and we're going to move over to Moab. Now Moab was a land, it was a land where Lot originally had settled. And a lot of the seed of Lot, his sons and his daughters, his sons actually had intimate relationships with his daughters. And a lot of the people in that land, the Moabites, were a result of that. And then they began, these were people who worshipped false gods. And God didn't want his people interacting with them because he knew that it would be um, ungodly influence. And you know, the scripture says, bad company corrupts good manners. You got to watch who you hang around. Who influences you? Who's speaking into your life? Because there's something called godly wisdom, but there's also something called fleshly earthly wisdom and that wisdom the bible says it's devilish it might make sense go over here and there's provision you can feed your family you'll be you'll be in a much better position if you just move no god's law said no don't live outside that boundary the blessings here you got to believe god here But they went. And so let's see where we are here. Um, I was telling you about his name. I was telling you about a little bit about him. Um, One thing I know is God's thoughts are greater than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And so we have to trust him and trust those ways, trust those thoughts and allow those thoughts to become our thoughts. In Proverbs 3, 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, every one of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So again, Emelech didn't acknowledge the Lord. He, del- he acknowledged his own ways. And he allowed his heart to become restless. And as a result of it becoming restless, he wanted to, to you know, scratch that itch. And sometimes people find themselves walking outside the boundaries of God, looking for something to scratch their itch. And sometimes sin is pleasurable for a season. But I'll tell you, it always leads to the same place. It leads to death. And so he left Israel, the house of bread, seeking bread. So again, the scriptures tell us that through faith and patience, if he would have just had some faith, 
and employed patience, put it to work. Through faith and patience, he would have inherited the blessings of God. He would have inherited what God wanted to do. I was thinking about this this week, about how in times like that, it's so important, again, to dig deep into the word. Because the word is alive. And it's quick. And it's powerful. And it divides between the soul and the spirit. And sometimes you just don't know what way to go. And if you look at the word, the word will direct you. Because your soul and your emotions will tell you one thing. But you can't lean to your feelings. Your feelings will want to be the ultimate authority, but they are not. Only God's word is ultimate authority. So again, in this case, don't go outside the boundaries of God seeking provision, seeking for something to scratch your itch. Stay within it. And when you know the word, the word will lead you. It'll become a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And when the word is in you, the word is alive. So when God's word dwells in you richly, guess what? You are on the inside. You are alive. The life of God. Allow the word to dwell in you richly. And you will experience life to the full. You'll experience it richly. Hallelujah. Mm. Glory to God. Imelech was a man who allowed himself to be dominated with discouragement. Don't allow yourself to be dominated with discouragement. Imelech allowed himself to begin to develop a taste for Moab. Don't allow yourself. Take heed what you see. Take heed what you hear. Take heed who you're around. Amen? Because that taste led him down the wrong pathway. I find myself praying a lot about pathways. I pray, I pray about roads and pathways and highways that God could travel on. Because he has roads to people's hearts. He has roads to our destiny. And when you pray about those roads and ask God to pave that highway, he'll travel on those roads to your loved one's hearts. He'll travel on those roads to places that are part of your destiny. And it will change your life. Hallelujah. You know, not only did it affect him, it affected his seed. And what you do, you know, in today's um, generation, they don't talk much. They got their heads buried in the devices, right? But I'm telling you, they're aware and they're watching. Take opportunity to look for opportunities to speak into their lives. And sometimes it comes in amazing ways. It doesn't always come the way that you think, you know? Sometimes you just got to listen through some stuff and then all of a sudden the real stuff comes. And then you have an opportunity to speak into their life. 
But if you react right away over the littlest things, really, that mean nothing, then guess what? It shuts down the opportunity for you to speak in their life, for God to speak into their life. And so, you know, um, God says that it affected his seed because we know the story as the story goes, he ended up dying. They lived in Moab about 10 years, Ruth and Naomi and um, uh, Orpah. They, what happened is Imelech died. They stayed 10 years. They married uh, these Moabite women and then they died. And then again, that brings us up to uh, Naomi. So um, I wanted to make the point in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. It says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose what? Who gets to choose it? Say, I do. I choose life. That both you and your seed may live. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when you're choosing life, it's going to affect your seed. And as I was uh, saying just a moment ago, in this generation, even though they're not talking, they're looking, they're watching, they're observing. So create and cultivate opportunities to speak to this generation. Amen? Amen. And it may not even be your natural seed. It may be your spiritual seed. It may be somebody in the church that you just make a connection with, serving in the youth department or serving in children's ministry. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. So, Emelech missed his day of visitation, but let's go on to talk about Naomi. Naomi, let's talk about what her name meant. Her name meant pleasant, delightful, lovely, and it was a, she was a beautiful woman. But the day tragedy came to visit her in the midst of trouble, instead of looking to see what the situation was, she immediately blamed God. She said, God's dealt with me bitterly. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Bitterness, misery. She wanted to change her name and be called that. And she blamed God for something that really was a decision that Imelech made. How many times do people blame God instead of putting um, the responsibility back on the person who made the choice? Now, God is merciful and He's wonderful. And we're going to see how he redeemed her life. But don't eat the bread of idle gossip, discontent, and self-pity. And that's what she began to do. She began to be bitter. She began to eat that bread. She began to blame God for, for, for rather than blaming personal choices. Amen? So Naomi, um, Again, she begins to blame God for stealing, killing, and destroying things that were in her life. And it causes confusion. It causes great confusion. But God, 
ministers to her heart. And she turns in repentance. And she says, you know, I heard something. I heard that God visited his people. And she decides at that moment, she's going home. And she declares it to her daughter-in-laws, who are now also widows. And she says, I'm going home. And you know what? In the evil day, you got to turn to God and you got to say, you know what? Lord, I'm turning to you. I'm going to stand. Having done all to stand, I'm going to stand Therefore, I'm going to have on the whole armor of God. And I'm not going to be detoured by this. You're a merciful God. You're going to help me. You're going to take me and redeem my life. And that's exactly what happened. You know what's interesting? I wanted to mention this too. The, the names of her two sons, um, Malon and Chilion. One's name meant weakness or sickness, and the other's name meant destruction or um, consumption or failure. Isn't that something? That that's what she called her children. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to call, amen, our children blessed. (laughs) Don't call your children things that God doesn't call them. They're rebellious. They're going the wrong way. They're doing this. They're that. No, that'd be like um, Naomi and Imelech calling their sons these things. Don't call your children cursed. Call them blessed. Amen. I don't care what they're doing. Call them blessed. God will see to it. So again, um, Naomi said she was going home. She changed direction. That's what it means to repent. And she headed that way. She released her daughter-in-law. She released Ruth. She released Orpah. She said, go back to your home then. Go back to what you know. Go back to the familiar. And so we see that Orpah, she did. She went back home. She tearfully, the Bible says, went back home. She had sorrow, but it wasn't the godly kind of sorrow, the kind that leads to repentance. It was the kind that she just, she felt bad. But she knew that that's where her comfort was. And sometimes people walk out of your life. Not everybody that comes into your life is going to be in your life forever. But your destiny is not tied to them. Amen? And so um, it was her time to exit the story. And she's not heard of again in scripture. But Ruth. Ruth had another spirit about her let me go back and tell you you know the name uh, Orpah you know what her name actually means back of the neck and that's what they saw as she departed hallelujah Ruth her name on the other hand meant companion friend uh, vision of beauty a heart that says where you can lead me She was called at a time that that didn't, the society that she lived in didn't fit her name. But she was called that. 
She was called friend, loyal. She was called vision of beauty. She was called a heart that says, I will go where you lead. She had a different spirit about her. And she actually did say that to Naomi, remember? She said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going where you're going. You know? I'm living where you're living. I'm dying where you're dying. Your God's going to be my God. And that loyalty brought her to the place of the unfamiliar. The place where there was, you know, she was headed. She was a foreigner. She had no land, no inheritance, no provision, no future husband, no future children. And she didn't have anybody that was from Moab. She didn't even have Orpah going with her. But she had a crossroads and she had to choose. When you're at a crossroads, choose life. Choose God. Choose God's way. So she stepped out of her hopeless situation and by faith, she stepped into her harvest. And we can learn something from her because she found purpose as she stepped into her harvest. You know, upon arrival, as they arrived back into the land uh, that they left, that they departed, Bethlehem, when they arrived back, Ruth went to work. She didn't sit around and wait to see what was going to happen. They had to eat. So she went out into the fields, and it just so happened that she ends up in a field that's owned by Boaz. Now that enters Boaz into our story here. Let me tell you a little bit about his name. His name meant swiftness. He was the kinsman redeemer, as you know the story goes. And Ruth, as she went in to glean in the fields, remember I told you about how that was the welfare system of that day. And she went to work. And as she went to work, God saw to it that the favor of God rained down upon her. And that favor rained down upon her through Boaz. And he made sure she was protected. And she listened to what her mentor told her. She listened to Naomi, who said, stay in that field. She listened to Boaz, and he made sure that she had more than enough. She went home with armfuls of blessing. And when you work in God's field in harvest, you're going to go home with armloads of blessing. More than she could think of. More than she ever imagined. Amen? Exceedingly, abundantly, above more. But oh, it wasn't done with just that. It wasn't done with just restoring that kind of provision. No, God had another plan to restore their lives, to restore their inheritance. And so Boaz became Ruth's redeemer and Naomi's redeemer. And he was the only one that could because he was a close relative. Now there was another relative that was even closer and Boaz had to go and to petition him and to ask to if he wanted to redeem this inheritance which was you know Naomi and this family but he didn't want to have any part of it and in that day what they would do is they would take their shoe off and hand the shoe over and that was here's the shoe I'm handing it over 
And Boaz says, you're the witness now, all of you, that he's handed to me so that I can redeem. But see, he had a heart to redeem. He had a heart to stretch out beyond, amen, to marry a foreigner that in that day wasn't allowed to bring her into his household to buy back. First of all, their life was redeemed. Then their inheritance, their provision, their protection, their love and their care. She was married to Boaz. They bore a son. And we know that son produced a son that produced Jesse. So who was Jesse? Jesse was the father of David. So we see in the story that Ruth became the great-great-grandmother of David. And so we see even in scripture in the New Testament, how Jesus was called son of David. Amen. So that lineage led all the way to Christ. Because God had promised David that his seed was going to reign forever. And his seed is reigning forever as king of kings and lord of lords. Amen. So the book of Ruth comes along and it's a time where there's great irresponsibility. But it shows how God called his people back to a greater responsibility. It was a greater thing that he did. Greater than just redeeming her life. Guess whose else lives were redeemed as a result of her obedience to go back. That would be you and that would be me. Amen. Our lives were redeemed because of that act of obedience. Because she followed her heart. Because she set her hand to the plow in harvest. And so we can see that as we set our hands to the plow and we seek him, we too can find what Ruth found, a new time and a new place. Because God always wants to do a new thing. And he wants to do a new thing in and through you. And as the scripture goes, he'll make a way in the wilderness he will create rivers in the desert in the dry places hallelujah I know there's a remnant of people who have the same spirit as the spirit of Ruth that are going to cleave to him that are not going to depart out of the boundaries of God's provision but they're going to follow what he says and they're going to obey what he says and with all their hearts they're going to worship him that remnant of people is called the body of Christ we pray much for the body of Christ we pray that we be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We pray that we come to know as a body what is the exceeding greatness of his power that works in and through us. We pray that we be filled 
to overflow with the knowledge of his will and that we become rooted and grounded knowing the depth and breadth and length and height of his love knowing it by experience amen knowing it because you've tasted and you see that the Lord is good and guess what he's good to me He's good all the time and he's good to me and his goodness is going to show up in my life. His goodness is going to show up in your life. Goodness and mercy is going to follow you all the days of your life. Every day. Expect his mercy, his goodness to be upon you, to go before you, to follow after you, to do things for you that you can't do for yourself. Just like Ruth. Oh, her life was redeemed and restored. Naomi's life was redeemed and restored. Oh, thank you, Father. For your redeeming grace. For the blood the blood that covers the blood his cleansing blood that flows there is power in the blood and even as Naomi just simply turned in repentance Lord we as representatives of your body, Lord. We turn to you in repentance. And we ask you, Lord, to heal our land. To heal divisions. To heal those places, Lord, that the enemy has sought and gotten a stronghold. Father, we pray for unity, even as Jesus prayed. Lord, make us one, even as you are one. That your body arises in this hour and puts her hand to the plow. And begins to work with the supply of the Spirit granted to them. Gifts, talents, Abilities, potentials, it's all in you. Don't bury it. Don't bury it. The scripture says it was buried, that talent was buried because of fear. Lord, may we rise up with the spirit of faith because you have not given us the spirit of fear or timidity. Oh, Father, you've given us the spirit of faith. And that spirit causes us to arise in this hour and to step up and step out of our comfort zones, out of complacency, out of apathy, out of weakness, out of dependency, out of entitlement, and into the land of provision. 
that which you have prepared for us. Prepare us for it. That we rise up a great and mighty army. Now every single one of you have a supply. And every single one of you will be held accountable for that which is in you. And I believe that as we walk out our course on this earth life, greater gifts begin to develop. And you always have the opportunity to step out in faith and begin to walk in them. It's like you never arrive. It's perpetual. So don't think you've arrived maybe because you've been walking with the Lord so many years or maybe because you're at a certain age. Oh, no. God always has a new thing. He always has a new thing for you. So let it rise up. Will you, Do you not know it? Do you not uh, give heed to it? Do you not perceive it? A new thing is happening. And even a new thing at heart of the bay. A fresh wave. A fresh anointing. Are we going to get in on it? Are we going to walk in it? Are we going to flow in it together? It's not something that we can do individually. We've got to do it corporately. Amen. We've got to walk in it and flow in it and run in it. And oh, it's a river. It's a river and it's springing up. Get in the river. The river of life, the river of refreshing, the river where you can, oh, hallelujah, do something bigger than your own hand. Hallelujah. God's got a plan for us. Are we arising, heart of the bay? Amen. Are we taking back what the devil's taken? Taking back territory? Taking back what he stole? Amen. Let's take it back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, stand up with me. PT, do you have a song for this? I just sense we just need to sing a song for this. We need to just jump in that river, I'm telling you. Because the river's flowing. And it's not just some little weak trickle. It's a rushing, mighty river. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Praise God.